Our focus is on helping businesses grow the top line who win their business based on relationships, which is a very old school type of thing. Grabbing coffee with an old friend, the fact that you had lunch with a high school buddy who happens to be CFO of a company that you follow. I am definitely more on social media than my parents. I do think that they can understand the power of social media technology. However, I know that my mom still really values the non-social media technology to teach her students different types of business skills. So they would go in a virtual setting and practice public speaking. And that way when they're in a real crowd, they're able to public speak better. This is the language of business podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs, anyone thinking about a startup or a business pivot, or just getting underway and looking for some help. Hear from experts who've been there and done that. Learn about strategies that work and strategies that don't work. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, we look at social media in business versus good old-fashioned non-social media. Can they both still work in 2022? We'll talk to the CEO of Dataline and a graduating senior who both think the answer is yes. Here's Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. In this age of e-everything, is it possible to truly teach an old marketing dog new tricks? We're on location with Vince Scafaria, the CEO of Dataline, and welcome to the Language of Business. Thanks for having me, Greg. You've been very successful in this age of e-everything using old-time marketing approaches to equally be successful. Why have you been able to do that? There's marketing that's all about reaching consumers and harvesting their digital information. Our focus is on helping businesses grow the top line who win their business based on relationships, which is a very old-school type of thing grabbing coffee with an old friend, the fact that you had lunch with a high school buddy who happens to be CFO of a company that you follow. So the businesses who we serve tend to be places like banks and law firms and private equity firms and more relationship professional types. So I think there's a role for advertising, consumer marketing with some kinds of businesses, but we're really in that crossover sweet spot where you want to leverage technology, but at the end of the day, it's about people and relationships. And what's the 30-second pitch on what Dotaline does? Dotaline is software that automatically understands relationship networks of colleagues at a firm. So who knows who well can help you figure out how to open a door at an important client prospect or prioritize a list of leads. Basically things like, oh, well, if Greg knows the senior people at company X, better than other colleagues as evidenced by the CEO gets back to him and they've met several times recently, then Greg would probably be a good way to get in the door. Are you considering LinkedIn to be accretive to Dotaline or is it a competitor? Well, there's no really, frankly, competing with LinkedIn. It's it's certainly accretive. LinkedIn does a really nice job of helping understand the external, I call it your second and third degree connections, but you don't really know who knows who well. It's kind of, you could have just collected a business card. Dotaline measures strength of relationships and it grabs things like your job title from your signature block of an email and so forth. And it do, it's able to do that because it's a private in-house secure system that runs within the enterprise against sources like email and calendar without sending data to any external place. So it, it has access to those kinds of data, which LinkedIn just doesn't have access to. And of course, we don't have access to the 
hundreds of millions of people or whatever LinkedIn has. So they're kind of different, but they go well together. Well, it's not an all or nothing proposition. How well is old school blending or competing with new school? In my world, I think of old school as manual input CRM, actually, and what we do as automated relationship intelligence. Those two things do go very well together because there are certain things that you really ought to be putting manually into the CRM, like which ones are your priority targets or what did the customer say when you called them up and what does the CEO think about the idea you're sharing? But things like who knows who well, interaction engagement statistics, up-to-date phone numbers, who switched jobs, that's all knowable based on data analytics. So those two things can go really well together, actually. So for example, you could open up your Salesforce and DataLine feeds data into the, the, the view that you're looking at and so forth. Let me give you a hypothetical. One of your legacy CEOs whom you've known for a long time would like to connect with somebody new that he, she, or they're interested in. Which would the CEO respond to better? Old school traditional marketing or the newest in E? When you say old school traditional marketing, if you mean things like handwritten letters, that's the way to go. <laughs> Actually, what's really happening right now is, you know, I say that tongue in cheek, but folks aren't really replying to emails anymore. They're fatigued about answering unknown number phone calls. Just the attention span that people have for new digital that isn't something they ought to pay attention to, it's a very low attention span right now. And so relationships just matter tremendously. And so what we're finding is that software, I mean, that's obviously what we do, but leveraging the collective relationship network of a firm allows you to make sure that you're not calling cold or sending cold emails where you should be bending the arm of the senior VP who could easily make that phone call. That's kind of my view there. Traditional marketing theory says that folks under 30 are going to respond differently than folks over 30. When you talk about people not answering numbers they don't know or not responding to emails, does it matter what age they are or how many years they've had in the workforce? I think that cuts across. I think reaching young people in ways that engage them is obviously different. People in my, call it mid-40s types, are most likely to respond. If you're responding cold, it might be because a LinkedIn message got your eye or something like that. I think with young folks, so they tell me there's this thing called TikTok. I've never tried it. <laughs> it's interesting that you haven't mentioned texting at all. If somebody receives a text from a number that they don't recognize, are they going to delete it or are they actually going to open it up and read it? Texts from unknown numbers are risky even from a security standpoint. But when you have the kind of relationship where you can text with someone, that's fantastic. Anything that crosses the line or that blurs the line, I should say, between this is my good friend, Patrick, as opposed to this is a distant business associate, the closer, the better. So texting is obviously terrific for that. It's unfortunate from my business's standpoint that Apple, for example, makes it hard to analyze text messages. But frankly, I'm glad that some companies care about making it hard to analyze private data. So hat tip to them, actually. It's not lost on me that in listening to you, your customers potentially have a 30-year age range. If somebody were starting a business like yours, what single piece of advice would you give them blending old school versus new school media and social media outreach? Well, I think there's something that's truly timeless, which is building connective tissue and collective intelligence. I mean, you've got an enterprise and it's meant to be more than the sum of its parts. If you're selling into businesses, and that's really the only thing I'm most equipped to speak to, if you're selling into businesses, 
they really want to leverage their collective assets. And so that's something that your customers are going to want to be able to do that in every way, including helping them sell. And speaking of, if you're helping a business to grow the top line by leveraging that connective tissue, those collective assets, that can be a good way to go. Vince, where do you think the opportunity lies moving forward between marrying human interactions and technology? Oh, I'm really glad you phrased it that way because now that's starting to speak to my broader vision beyond DataLine. So I'm, you know, I'm at Scafari on Twitter, by the way. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is a vision for decentralized yet pro-social tech. What should happen is we should have human-centric tech that treats each individual as the customer, not as a source of data to be mined. Every extractive business ends up where you have problems, whether you're extracting oil and gas and creating externalities there, whether you're extracting personal data and selling someone an ad that maybe they're interested to, I don't know, cheat on their spouse or something. Just having this economy where our data is harvested to then in turn manipulate us is upside down. There's every reason in the world we should simply pull the appropriate ad, for example, or more broadly, what is an ad, but the really just an economic opportunity that I might be interested in. So why not have my phone light up in the morning with various economic opportunities that I might be interested in? The fact that I'm a bricklayer and someone needs bricks laid and on and on. There's an opportunity for a decentralized model that I don't think needs Web3 and blockchain, and that is pro-social. Because if you just create something decentralized, you could have anarchy and chaos. How do I even know that I'm dealing with real humans if I'm not tied within a single corporate network that validates folks? Those are solvable problems. I'm surprised that big tech hasn't tried to solve them. I think the first thing we'll hopefully see is things like a personal cloud device that runs private apps like my desktop used to. I think we need to move to more thoughtful models for interactivity. But I couldn't agree with you more that nothing substitutes for getting a handwritten letter in ink with a stamp from somebody you know well. That is absolutely right. You get something like that, you're going to call them up, they'll take the call, you'll be texting, go to the game, all that good old school stuff that makes the business world go around. Perhaps even on a landline. (laughs) Yes. Vince, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Greg. Vince Scafaria, CEO and founder of Dot Align. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Next up, we talk to Neva Haber, a graduating senior at BU, who hopes that social media and old-school non-social media can work hand-in-hand when she gets into the business world, when the language of business continues. I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top-tier business school until my first day. And I just really, for the first time, felt like I was in a place where everybody knew what was going on and everyone was incredibly driven to study this and perfect this field. And so I think being in a top business school really means that you are finding the barriers and the edges of the field and pushing them a little farther. And that's what Questrom has taught me over the past four years. The curriculum at Questrom is really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business, such as accounting or marketing, but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world. They really want us to kind of focus it on four emerging areas, and those areas were healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Questrom School of Business and, like I said, be able to work in any area of the industry. Interested? Go to bu.edu slash Westrom. You're listening to The Language of Business and our look at social media versus old school, non-social media. Back to Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. 
No matter where you look, everyone's talking and using, frankly, their phones as an appendage. But what about good old-fashioned non-social media technology? Can it still transform a business, even in the decade of the 20s? We're on location with Neva Haber from Boston University. Welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. What are you currently studying in school and what college are you attending at BU? I'm a senior at the College of Arts and Sciences. I'm studying neuroscience. And what internship experience do you have and how has that potentially affected what you're going to do post-graduation? So most of my internship experiences have either been healthcare or technology related. I've worked at an ARVR company called The Glimpse Group before. I've worked as a health tech intern for Mass Challenge here in Boston. I've also had the opportunity to be a patient experience intern for one of the larger healthcare organizations in Israel called Clalit Health Services. And most recently, this past summer, I worked as a business technology intern at Johnson & Johnson, which was super fun. And next year, I will be working at Clearview Healthcare Partners, a life science consulting firm. And in the future, I hope to attend law school. Good for you. That sounds like you have some really rich and value-added experiences. So the focus of this segment is how non-social media still is able to transform a business technologically. Can you give us an example from maybe one of your internships or potentially preparation for your full-time job? Yeah, totally. So I think the place where this is most applicable was this past summer working at Johnson & Johnson. So as I mentioned, I was a business technology intern. And essentially what I did was I worked on the consumer health side of things. And what I did was I worked with the brand teams. So J&J Consumer Health has a lot of several different brands. So I worked for two of them. And what I did was I worked with the brands seeing what kind of updates and new things that they were working on. On the flip side, I worked with a lot of the software development team and to see what kind of projects they could do to help with what the brand was aiming to do. It's called solution architecture, but essentially I was facilitating the communication between the brand team as well as the software engineers. Now, a lot of the projects that they were working on had to do with updating the website and incorporating cool tech features onto their brand platform. And throughout the summer, I worked on this project where I was trying to get a detailed documentation process of this communication. Because a lot of the problems that were occurring was that the brand would constantly have new people coming in, or they would get a lot of the communication lost in emails or over word of mouth. And there were a lot of things that they would have to keep asking the software development teams over and over again throughout the year. And the software development team, they were already super busy and they had to keep answering repeated questions. So essentially, one of the things that I did over the summer was get all this information that was occurring and consolidating it into one document. And I was able to do this using technology, using Confluence. And Confluence is a product of Atlassian. And essentially what this service does is that it's able to connect many different people within a company or within a branch of a company so that they could all share and view the same documents and whatever else is being created in the space. And so I was able to keep track of a bunch of different pages that are specific to different projects that the brand and the software team would be working on. And by doing this on Confluence, it was able to be accessible to everyone in that branch. And this way, instead of continuing to ask the software development team for the same questions, the brand people would be able to just go straight to the Confluence page, see exactly what they need, whatever requirements they need for a certain project, and get the workflow efficiency way more optimized that way. I ended up actually getting an award for doing this at the end of the summer, 
And it was a really great way to help make these processes way faster, which is important when you have projects that are on deadlines. Congratulations on the award. So there was no FOMO by not using Facebook or Insta or Snapchat in order to update your documents. No, not at all. And it was a great way to really just facilitate communication. And it really does make an impact at the end of the day. How about as a senior in the classes that you're taking, what's the interplay between social media technology and non-social media technology from a pedagogical perspective? In my science classes, especially the neuroscience one, there isn't too much going on in terms of social media technology, but we do have a largely based topics in our curriculum for non-social media technology. So we learn a lot about different kinds of research methods and different technologies for how we can collect information about our brains and analyze that in a research setting. So that includes MRIs or PET scans, stuff like that. And then on the flip side, we also do a lot of computational neuroscience, which is a pretty new field, so not too many people know about it, but essentially you take biological processes that are occurring in your brain and you try to model this in a computer. And we learned to do this using MATLAB, which is a coding language and a type of technology. Where do you think your parents would come out on this debate? Given that they're older than you are, are they still mired in good old fashioned non-social media technology? Or do both of them have a Finsta as well as an Instagram account? I will say I am definitely more on social media than my parents. However, I do think that they can understand the power of social media technology. However, I know that my mom still really values the non-social media technology. She's a professor and she uses AR and VR technology to teach her students different types of business skills in her classes. So they would go in a virtual setting and practice public speaking. And that way, when they're in a real crowd, they're able to public speak better. So there's still ways that you can value the non-social media technology. And my mom definitely has that sense that I do as well and was able to incorporate it in her industry. Neva, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Neva Haber, a senior in the College of Arts and Sciences at Boston University. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Greg. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. We're available wherever you get podcasts or ask Alexa. Social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Music by Randy Barth of Osui Media. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio production, editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.